He's the most legendary Atlanta Hawk. I was a scorer. Plain and simple, I was a flat-out scorer, but I used Duncan as a tool for intimidation to back big guys up. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Hawks Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Sarah Spencer, Hawks beat reporter for the AJC, and today we are talking with someone I have wanted to have on the podcast from literally the very start of this show. Actually, even before this show, when this show was just an idea, this is one of the main first people I wanted to have on, and that is none other than Hall of Famer Dominique Wilkins. Biggest star, biggest name, biggest talent you think of when you think of the history of the Atlanta Hawks. So we chatted about his dunk contest performances, about how there was more to his game than dunking, um, how he got his nickname, human highlight film, sort of his background and how he got his start, the era he played in, you know, all through the 80s and 90s, um, broadcasting, thoughts on the Hawks. Like, really, we did touch on so many topics, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy hearing from him. The Hawks Report is brought to you by Emory Healthcare, the official team healthcare provider of the Atlanta Hawks. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution is taking Georgia political coverage to the next level. Now, Georgia's smartest political team is adding Hall of Fame political broadcaster Bill Nygut. I am beyond thrilled to be joining the remarkable political team at the AJC. And with the year that we have unfolding in politics, it's going to be an exciting ride. Read Bill Nygut's expert insight on AJC.com and listen to the Politically Georgia podcast with me, Greg Bluestein, And me, Patricia Murphy. And me, Tia Mitchell. Hear new episodes every weekday. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. A quick reminder, if this is your first time listening to us, please subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's dive into our conversation with Neek, um, which we actually did in kind of like a dressing room area in the back of State Farm Arena. He squeezed us in um, before the Hawks are set to face the Cavs um, Thursday, second half of a back-to-back. So Neek was nice enough to take a little time out of his busy pregame schedule and, and fit us in. So here we go. Neek, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. I'm so grateful. No problem. No problem. Anytime. Well, okay. So I I actually have a a funny question to ask you to start off, which is that a few weeks ago, we had Lauren Jabara on the podcast, obviously Hawk sideline reporter, and she told a funny story about you that when you did the dunk contest, you didn't actually rehearse your dunks. You just like went out and did it. Is that true? Absolutely true. Absolutely true. I didn't work on those dunks, neither did Michael, neither did Dr. J. None of us, you know, in those days, we did dunks, um, basically we were doing in games. So we didn't have to work on it. Everything I did in the dunk contest was spontaneous. Never, just ad-libbed? Yeah, I never worked on any of it. I mean, it was dunks that I knew I could execute because I've done them in games, of, you know, and pickup games. So sure. it, was, it was nothing for me to, to try to attempt those dunks. Was there ever a moment in midair where you're like changing your mind or you're like, 
many times, <laughs> you know. But maybe I put a little extra flair on this particular dunk, or maybe I do a little, give it a little more power on that dunk. So it, it just it just varied as I you know went on in the contest. And like I said, a lot of those dunks I thought of as the contest went on, mm-hmm. and so it was it was fun for me. When did dunking become? Kind of, because obviously it kind of became a little bit of your identity, part of it, knowing that you're, you're so good at that. Was it like that from when you were a little kid? Yeah, but you know, the thing is. Obviously, tell, probably a smaller Yeah, dunk, dunking <laughs> was a part of my game. It mm-hmm. really wasn't my game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because the way I dunked, people thought that every shot I took was a dunk. Because they were so loud when you did do that. I mean, because they were aggressive. Yep. But. I've had games where I've had 40-plus points and, and have a single dunk. Mm-hmm. You know, I was a scorer, plain and simple. I was a flat-out scorer, but I used dunking as a tool for intimidation to back big guys up. Mm-hmm. And um, But, again, when you, when you go attack the rim that way, people don't look at the other parts of your game. When you get categorized as a great athlete or great dunker, they forget about the rest of part of your game. You know, I, I could shoot the three. I had I was a mid-range nightmare for a lot of guys and um, run the floor, played inside, out. I mean, every aspect of the game I did. How did you feel like – I'm so curious to get your perspective on this, on how the game – how you've seen the game change over time. Well, the game – over time, it's become more hybrid, and what I mean by that is that, you know, you got guys play multiple positions because the physicality is not what it was when we played. So guys, it gives them the ability to play multiple positions. You got guys who are six four, six five, trying to play power forward, yeah, because the big guys that at that position don't post up anymore, and so they play on the wing to become three point shooters, perimeter shooters. But, um, but you know, you saw this past year in the playoffs where. Size matter mm-hmm. because Giannis and um, Lopez and Porter, them guys wear you down. Yeah. And that's the what team was huge. Yeah. And yeah, and they and that's what happens when you have size. So, uh, but you know, it, it made it more open game where guys play multiple positions. What did you think of the Hawks' playoff run last year? And then also, what have you seen from them? This season, it's been up and well, down. Well, last year was nothing short of incredible. Yeah. yeah. What they did. What they did. I Man, I was so proud of those guys and how they turned the corner and did what they did in the playoff and get to the Eastern Conference Finals. Not a lot of people can say that. And so I'm proud of them for what they accomplished. This year was a different year. You know, the COVID year where you had a lot of injuries early on. You know, a lot of guys were out due to COVID protocol. So it killed the chemistry of your team. And so um, they've been fighting all year to stay above water. But, hey, still in a great situation where, you know, you're going to be in the playoffs. You know, you just got to take care of business. What do you think of the play-in tournament? I'm still trying to understand it and figure it out. Um, because you got the Lakers who are how many yeah, games you, under? You're the, you know, the top eight teams in the past made it. And now the eighth team now have to fight to stay in the playoffs. So it's, it takes some getting used to. Um, like I said, I'm still trying to figure it out. But, you know, this game is forever changing. I think a lot of people are familiar with your nickname, Human Highlight Film. But I, th- I don't think a lot of people know how you got that nickname. Yeah. How did you get it? I didn't get it in the pros. 
And I didn't you got get it young, didn't and you? And I didn't get it in college. It was in high school. I got it in 11th grade. A guy named Howard Garfinkel, who was the director of five-star basketball camp in Homestead, Pennsylvania. One of the top camp in the United States at that time. All of the great high school players went to this camp. And I scored 42 points in the All-Star game at the end of the week, and they couldn't tell how I was scoring the points. My game was kind of unorthodox. I was scoring different ways. And they said, you know what? We're just going to call him the human highlight film. And when I first heard that name, I hated it. Why? <laughs> I'm like, I was young, stupid. Yeah. But, but you know, I said to myself, as I got older, I said, wait a minute. I can make some money off this name. Oh, there you go. That <laughs> so, changes things. So it stuck. Yeah. And, um, and now I love it. I mean, but it, it speaks to who I am. Mm-hmm. When did you know or what was your journey to getting into broadcasting? Probably happened by accident. Really? <laughs> it really did. Uh, because when I retired, uh, I was an executive in the front office. I was special advisor to uh, the vice president. And then I got into coaching staff for a little while, and uh, I went into the front office. And I remember the ownership at the time said, we want you to call our games. I said, Why? He said, because you know our team better than anybody, so we want you to be a part of the broadcast. And uh, I said, okay, I'll give it a shot. And it became kind of a natural thing for me. But, you know, you go through your, your ups and downs. You make a few mistakes early on. And, and Steve Conan at the time was like, I think you'd be pretty good at it, you know. And look many, Steve's many years later. For it. Yeah, yeah. And look, look many years later, and here's, you know, here we are. But it was because of Steve Conan. What what do you think of what is it like working with Bob? What's it like working with with Lauren? It's a good group. No, Bob could be very challenging. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. No, Bob's no. the worst. <laughs> no, 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 no. Actually, Bob is great, man. He he makes it easy for you. He mm-hmm. really makes it easy for you, especially early on. And now we've been together for so many years, man. It's just we got a natural uh, connection, you know. So we work. Very well together. I, I, I enjoy very much working with Bob Raffin. What is it like covering a team or, you know, calling games for a team that is it almost like more personal because, you know, like you, you've played for this team, you have history with this team mm-hmm. and also being, I went to UGA, also mm-hmm. being, you know, being a dog and it just mm-hmm. getting to stay local. Well, for me, going from the Bulldogs to the Hawks, was a blessing in disguise because I originally got drafted by the Utah Jazz. I did not want to go to Utah. I, you know, I, I, I protest that <laughs> that pick, but to get traded my rookie year back here was a, a blessing in disguise. And the, and the city of Atlanta basically embraced me as their native son here. And so I never wanted to leave. And to this day, never going to leave. Sticking around. Yeah, I'm going to stay around until they wheelchair me out of here. (laughs) (laughs) I think they'll let you stay a while. (laughs) This is the Hawks Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. I'm Ernie Suggs. And I'm Ned Ravone. Atlanta has been known as the black mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. 
Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. I want to thank everyone who subscribes to the AJC and AJC.com because it really is what makes all this possible. And if you aren't a subscriber, you can go to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast and your first month of unlimited digital access is just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast. So you always know what's really going on. Okay, let's keep chatting with Neek. Throughout your whole career in the NBA, is there a moment or an achievement that you're, or I guess even to present day, is there a moment or achievement that you're most proud of? Well, it's probably hard to well, it's, it's a, narrow it's it down. quite a few things. Yeah. Oh, one, you know, as a player, when I got injured and all the critics said I was done, mm-hmm. I would never be back. And I tore my Achilles tendon. And I remember working. That's a tricky injury. Back then, because it was considered a career in the injury. But I remember working nine months, twice a day, every day for nine months. And I said, I'm going to come back. I'm going to be better than ever. And I got a lot of uh, sarcastic responses, pats on the back. But I just used it all as fuel to prove them all wrong. And I came back and averaged 30 that season. That was the year you averaged 30. Yeah. And uh, I'm the only one who's done it. After being out a year, and a lot of guys have, t- have taken, you know, a year and a half, two years to come back from that. And so, you know, to see what Durant has done now coming back from that injury, I mean, because it's a difficult injury. And so that's one of the things I'm most proud of. But as far as achievements, it's two things. It's, um, you know, becoming a Hall of Famer, for one. And the second one is being, you know, one of the 75 greatest players ever. I was just I about mean, to ask you about it. I mean, 75. How big? How big can bigger than that can you get? There's nothing bigger than that. That's all. I mean, that's a wonderful um, accolade and achievement that throughout your life you've never thought about yourself in that way. But you know, when you play against the greatest player to ever play, um, and you fit in and you become one of those great players, you feel like you're immortalized, and that's what happened at, at the All-Star Weekend. We were all immortalized. Who was one of the toughest guys you ever played against? Well, I never feared anyone I've ever played against. Sure. But, but just talking about but, that but, stiff but, competition. But, 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 but it's one guy that made me know. But it was competition every night was stiff. Yeah. We had no nights off. Yeah. You know, but no, playing against a guy like Bernard King, with the, the New York Knicks, and I couldn't sleep the night before playing against this guy. Really? Because he's going to get 40. There's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. I used to say to myself, I'm going to get 40. He get 40. We just going to call it a wash. I ain't killing myself <laughs> chasing this guy. <laughs> yeah. But when you got to play against Larry Bird at 6'10 one night, you got to play Dr. J. Then you got Bernard King, English, Dantley, Worthy, Mark Aguirre, Orlando Woolridge, uh, uh, Marcus Johnson. Make it. Every night, there's no nights off. And all I got, there's no little guys in that group. And you got Larry Nance at 6'11", Thurl Bailey at 6'11", all playing the three position. So I was considered an average size small four to 6'8", six, 6'8 eight, six, eight and a half at the time. How tough was that era going up Ooh. against? I mean, how, I mean, now we can all talk about, you know, the different eras and the well, different you know, challenges. I, I don't, one thing I don't do, I don't compare eras. Sure. It's, that's not fair because it's Sure, because the game changes, like the we game said. Changed. But that era of basketball was so 
talented, so physical. It was some talent. And the three position was known as the darling position. Remember guys with all oh, that position, if you look on average, they probably average 24 to 25 a night just at that position across the league. Um, man, I played against some monsters. And, but I wouldn't take it back for nothing in the world. Because playing against that kind of competition really puts you in a category that, you know, this is the time you can prove who you are or you're one of the best small forwards. And when I went against guys like that and, you know, we had great nights against one another, that's when you know you arrived. What was the biggest challenge throughout your career? Was it coming back from that injury? Was it just playing in that era? Like, what was that big biggest challenge for you well you know what I had many challenges you know the challenge when you first come in, came in the league that you know you didn't you wasn't given three years to develop you had to be an impact from day one and so you know as a rookie I had to you know I had to you know go to work because I had to play against some legendary guys each and every night so even though I was a rookie learning the game they expected high a lot of things out of me you know and so I knew I had to compete to to keep my head above water, but I had to compete to get to the level of one of the best players, and so that that's what that's what drove me each and every night. But that era was <laughs> that era was something it was else. Bruising, but I, I wouldn't take that back for nothing in the world. I mean, you know, we were so competitive that a lot of us never shook hands, never spoke to one another. But it was it was you know expected, and that's the, that's the way we were. The past year for you, like we talked about, you know, NBA 75 and, um, well, I guess just that, you know, Hall of Fame stuff. Are you at a position in your career, like, how gratifying is that to, you know, have played in that era and then now you look back? Like, what are the emotions like having known that, that you, can, you can hang your hat on that? You know, um, coming from a little um, small uh, community in Baltimore, Maryland, in that rough neighborhood that I grew up, you know, this little young kid to you know, go through what I went through in life and to get to this level, um, I wouldn't have expected that in a million years. Really? Um, you know, you, I always wanted to be an NBA player, even if I knew at 12 I would be an NBA player. But to be on this level of greatness, nobody knows, and nobody can say that they know that was going to happen, mm -hmm. you know. But you work hard to get there. Mm -hmm. And so I look back on how I grew up and it's that tough neighborhood and the people who had a lot of faith in me that said, hey, you're going to be the first one to get out of this neighborhood. I owe that all to them because they gave me the courage to do that. I know you're really active in the community. Is that one of the reasons why you're so passionate about, you know, giving back? I mean, even yeah. taking, taking time to do this today. Like, I know you're busy. You don't have to do that. You know, like. Yeah, well, you know, I think we have a, a social responsibility to give back, mm -hmm. you know, because we grew up wanting people to help us. And many people have helped me growing up so it's a responsibility to give back I have a daughter with special needs mm -hmm. so I know how important it is that to create different options to help her thrive in life so like the sensory awareness stuff yeah I've seen. well all the sensory awareness and all the autism things that we do with culture city and things even before I was doing you know special needs you know I was doing diabetes um, hypertension, asthma, you know, I was part of the uh, American Heart Association. So there's a lot of things that I've attached myself to to try to bring about awareness. So I know I opened up this episode asking you about dunking. I'm going to close it asking about, because I know that's not the only part of your game, I got to close it asking about what do you feel like was the most underrated part of your game? 
I think the most underrated part of my game um, that I didn't get enough respect for, and that's why you know I, I love Doc Rivers to this day, is defense. Mm. You know, I've always thought it the best guy on the floor, mm-hmm. ninety probably eighty five percent of the time, mm-hmm. and um, and and how hard I played all the time, all the time. I didn't take nights off. And that's the thing I'm most proud of. I didn't take nights off. Now, I played games with two dislocated fingers and with two out. dislocated fingers. Yes. Yes. Oh, you know what? I've seen you pop it out before. Yeah, yeah. And you're saying like, look, it's it makes this sound up. still to this yeah. day. <laughs> you know, and I played with um, a sprung ankle, two dislocated, and I had a temperature of 103. All at the same time. Yeah, and I played. Oh my god. I played, and I had 57 that night. And that's been many nights that I, I, I you know, things wasn't quite right, but. I felt like if I could walk, I could play. That was just my mentality. That was our team's mentality. I mean, I remember seeing Isaiah Thomas in the playoff championship playing with an ankle brace on, you know, after that badly sprung out where he was limping the whole game and had an incredible game. Same thing with Michael Jordan. Had the flu in the game. Scored 40-something, won the championship. So that's who we were. That's what we did. We just believe in that if we didn't play – we felt like we let our team down. That was just that was just the times we lived in. Nick, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, no problem. Anytime. I'm so, I'm anytime. so grateful. So anytime. Grateful. First time I had an interview like this. It's cool. Oh, cool. <laughs> Glad cool. we could be the first cool. one. <laughs> okay, I hope y'all enjoyed that conversation with Neek. I know I really enjoyed chatting with him. Neek is kind of always just a hoot. He is really, really funny personality for days. Um, and also just to like describe a little bit of my personal experience with him. Like he is so willing to just chat with chat with anybody, but he's been so willing to just chat with me, you know, before, after games, like tell stories. And when we started this podcast, he was one of the first names I thought of, Oh gosh, I really hope he'll come on because some of the things that we had talked about, I just really wanted to see if, you know, he would open up and be willing to share it with you guys too. And he was. And so I'm so thankful that he was willing to give us his time. Um, so yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. A lot of good little nuggets in there. Um, and quite a, quite an awesome, quite an awesome interview, honestly. That was, that was really fun. Um, just the stories that he has. It's like, how can you, you can't make that up. Just some awesome stories. Um, so, all right, that's going to wrap up today's episode. Please don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, share, all that good stuff. And we will have another episode for you Monday. And thank you guys again for listening to the Hawks Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Mm-hmm.